In light of last week's dramatic events at the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., I wanted to do this podcast as quickly as possible. The conversation was recorded Friday morning in Oslo, but not in a sound studio due to COVID distancing requirements. Thanks for bearing with us. This is Greg Reichberg, host of The Absolutes. Uh, I have with me today my good friend and colleague, Henrik Sisa. Uh, we're going to have a conversation about recent events in Washington, D.C. Uh, first, I'd just like to uh, congratulate Henrik on finishing a six-year term on the Nobel Peace Prize Committee. This is the committee that selects each year's Nobel Peace Prize winner. And I'd like to say what a fantastic pick committee had this year in the, uh, with the um, World Food Program. Uh, that, of course, is a topic for a different uh, session. Uh, perhaps at some point we'll be able to get the uh, uh, direct executive director in a, in a discussion uh, on this podcast. Because we actually know him. Yes. Uh, David Beasley from before, from a very different context. But thank you very much for that yes, generous yeah. and, uh, and we, kind introduction, Greg. We, I appreciate it. We know David Beasley, and we consider him a friend. Uh, you know, the, the events uh, that, that took place in Washington, D.C. two days ago were very dramatic. And I'd like to emphasize just how serious they were. Uh, use of social media to incite violence... Is, is a really very dangerous and bad thing. Uh, and, you know, uh, this is not the first time social media has, has, uh, has been used uh, in, in this way. I'm thinking about events in Sri Lanka, uh, events in India, and we need to recall that nearly 500,000 people were killed at close range in Rwanda, largely instigated by certain key figures who promoted violence. Now, I don't know that I want to, I don't know whether President Trump intended for the, the mob to go into the Capitol building and, and engage in violent acts, right? Uh, however, by virtue of his role, the president has a, a, a responsibility to exercise proper caution in his speech and to foresee the likely ways that his speech will be understood by his followers. Right? All right? The president took an oath uh, of fidelity to the, the U.S. Constitution and, and the sorts of acts that he's promoted and the rejection of proper electoral process is, I think, a violation of his oath. Henrik, what's your take on the situation? Well, I agree with all you've said. Uh, it's interesting because the podcast we are on now is called The Absolutes, which uh, has a philosophical background because we want to talk about really important questions. Yeah. And both Greg and I believe that there are certain absolutes in this world. Uh, human dignity, for instance. But there is also something dangerous about the term absolute. Because if you believe that something is absolutely wrong, and I believe that some things are absolutely wrong, you also believe that you are absolutely right to do whatever you can to stop it, right? So if um, Hitler tried to take over, or a new Hitler 
Many of us would say that it would be right to do certain things that are otherwise wrong in order to stop something as evil. So why am I saying that now? Well, much of the rhetoric that Trump and his followers have used has been a rhetoric of absolutes. Just see the election for the Senate in Georgia, the runoffs this week, where they said, I just read some of the tweets from Donald Trump's son, Donald Trump Jr., who said that this is an incredibly important election because we must stop communism in America. And he and others have used this language repeatedly. And what they are saying then is that communism is totalitarian. Communism is Stalin. Communism is everything that we don't want this country to be. So normally we wouldn't instigate violence, but we now have to take a stand. And so you justify doing extreme things because you say that we are doing it in order to save us from something absolutely evil. And I think that sort of rhetoric is very dangerous. And it's dangerous for two reasons. Firstly, because it gives you a sort of moral high ground, so you think you can do anything. And the second is that it invites people to lie and not least to take things totally out of proportion. You could say a lot of things about Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff in Georgia. They're not communists. Yeah. You can disagree with Joe Biden on many things. But Biden is hardly a totalitarian threat to American democracy. And I think that's one of these things that have happened, is that you build up this sort of enemy image. And just to uh, conclude this train of thought, um, since we are philosophers, we like to name drop philosophers now and then, there was a German uh, legal thinker, a great thinker, a great intellect called Karl Schmitt. But he actually became an advisor to the Nazi regime. And one of the things that um, he is well known for is for saying that political Politics is about friend and enemy. It's about saying what you're for and what you're against. And I think that's quite a dangerous road to take because politics should also be a room where we can meet in a friendly, peaceful atmosphere across differences, accept losses, congratulate the other, wish the other well, find compromises. And I think what Trump has done is to whip up a frenzy almost, which goes in a completely opposite direction. And this week we saw the result. You know, I've been thinking about another German author, uh, Karl Jasper, who, after the Second World War, wrote a book entitled The Responsibility of the German People. And basically the book was an examination of conscience about how the regime of national socialism could have come about, how it did come about. And what he emphasized with that was that everybody in Germany, had some sort of responsibility in that. Obviously, there were some people who were directly responsible, but some people were responsible solely by virtue of their emissions. I think now, in light of what's happened, uh, we all need, and I, I say all Americans, and I'm an American, we need to engage in an examination of conscience about how we reached this perilous how we walk down this perilous road and reach this, this, this perilous juncture. I agree. And I think Karl Jaspers is a very relevant thinker to refer to, even if the listener has never heard of him. It's, uh, it, it's a very you know, uh, uh, argument that can be recognized by all of us, it's namely an argument about responsibility. And sometimes when we shirk responsibility and say, I have no responsibility for that, we say, 
I did not know or I could not have known. So let's say I open a door and it hits someone, but I had no idea the person was standing on the other side. I would say, I could not know that. But in the case of someone like Donald Trump, he has been approximately as transparent as can be. (laughs) What he has said and what he has stood for has been eminently clear for years. And I think to say now that, oh, well, we, we, we see now that it was really bad, but, you know, we, we couldn't quite see this coming, to me is somewhat naive. And by all means, I won't compare him to someone like Hitler, who is in a category by himself, or Stalin. But there is one relevant parallel, and then we're back to Jaspers. Namely, those who say afterwards, we did not understand what National Socialism stood for. Go back and hear the speeches of Hitler and Goebbels through the 30s. There is no excuse in the sense, there are many other sorts of excuses. I was scared. I didn't know what I could do. But to say, I did not understand when it's that clear. And I think that's one of the things you are saying too, Greg, is we need all of us, not just say, oh, those people were wrong. All of us need to examine our consciences and and see where there are things we should have seen more clearly. They used to say at my uh, kid's school in Cyprus, there are excuses, but no excuse. (laughs) Now, if I want to assume a bit of responsibility, I I have to say that I had grave doubts about Donald Trump from the beginning when when he ran as a candidate. I feel that I should have been, over the course of time, more forthright with my friends who have supported Trump. I've largely bit my tongue tried to be patient, tried to listen, and I think I should have challenged them more along the way. Uh, you know, and I, and I did that to try to, you know, not rock the boat, preserve friendships. Uh, but now I see the downside in that. Uh, and where I think we need to focus our examination of conscience, many of us, and now I'm thinking about folks who have supported Trump, is in the arena of belief. Uh, you know, there have been, there are the, I keep hearing, the, Trump says the, the election was stolen. It was taken away from us. That's his belief. Perhaps he's convinced of that. I don't know. And then they keep saying now, you know, nearly half of the American electorate, maybe where it says 40%, believe the election was stolen. And that's, that's why, uh, uh, you know, uh, a mob assembled, you know, at the Capitol building, because they, 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 they're deeply aggrieved. The fact is, we are responsible for our states of belief. They don't just come to us. And, you know, you, I've studied, you know, there, there are different forms of belief. There's, there's divine belief in God. Uh, and there's even a, a part of theology called apologetics, which consists in examining uh, how to uh, come to belief in a responsible way. Right? Uh, the uh, how do I know that the persons who speak on behalf of God are truly speaking on behalf of God? How do I know that the voice I hear in my heart is from God? Uh, what are the signs that attest to that? Uh, is this in 
Is this in conformity with reason or not? Does it stand against reason? There are a whole set of questions we could ask ourselves, but the whole thing is to engage in a responsible act of belief. But in everyday life, apart from divine belief, we engage in acts of belief. Hmm. I, and belief, you know, definition of belief is to hold true on the word of another. I've never been to Chile in Latin America. I, I take it as a matter of belief that the country exists, that the, the, when I look at a map that was drawn by a cartographer, that person was properly qualified. All this to say that it, 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 is, it is not an excuse to say, I believe that the, the election was fraudulent. Uh, on what grounds do I believe President Trump when he says that? Is he equipped to make that claim? And in a democratic government, we have, a, we have procedures for this. And we have people who are entrusted with determinations about the, 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 the carrying out of elections. Uh, you know, I, I've, there, there are two conversations I've had, well, one conversation and, and, and one email that I, I just want to mention because I'm, I'm, I'm upset about them. A uh, couple of months ago, right after the election, I, I spoke with a, a, a friend uh, who has been a Trump supporter from the beginning, uh, who is a lawyer, and who has an official position in the Trump administration. And he began telling me after Biden's electoral victory that uh, at the end of the day, the media doesn't decide elections. I was saying to him, why doesn't President Trump concede now? He said, the media doesn't decide elections. Ultimately, it's Congress that decides. Uh, Oh, and conveniently, uh, the way that it's set up, if Congress were to decide, and if neither candidate gets a sufficient number of electoral votes, conveniently, it's, of course, the Republicans who hold the edge. Because each States delegations are counted, and the Republicans are, you know, hold more states. Uh, and you know, to my mind, this was a, this was a, 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 a it's clearly a flawed legal argument, but it was also a irresponsible argument, because why did those people descend on Congress? The whole point, and this is why President Trump encouraged them to go, was to pressure the Congress to make the right decision. But that is not the Congress's decision. They only are entitled by the Electoral Act, I think it was uh, 1887, in the case when there are competing slates of electors. And there are political regimes where the parliament or Congress select the, the head of state. That's the case in Norway. All right? You don't vote for... The prime minister, you vote for a party, and the party that they gets the most votes then selects the, the the prime minister. But that's not the U.S. system. I know. I mean, just want to follow up on that yeah. with two things, and then I'll let yeah. you come yeah. back to the email you got as well, because I, yeah. <laughs> I know that upset you too. Uh, firstly, about beliefs, I think one of the things that shocks us is the fact that uh, Donald Trump is a person who is not truly conscious of the sort of responsibility you have yeah. when you are the president of the United States. And many people will listen to the president of the United States. So they will say, he's the president. I voted for him. He must be right. But then he says things that are uh, a- 
absolutely wrong. There is no evidence for it. He keeps saying it. And he keeps saying it with great gusto as well. It's obviously right. Joe Biden cannot have won. I won Georgia by hundreds of thousands of votes. Uh, Three million fraudulent votes in the 2016 elections. And he just keeps saying them. And then, of course, some people will believe it. And I think one of the greatest... Well, disappointment is probably not the wrong word because I don't have that high an estimation of Ted Cruz. But still, let me use that term. Huge disappointment when a senator goes out and says, because so many people believe it, we cannot affirm the opposite electoral count because so many people believe it's otherwise. And I'd like to ask Ted Cruz if I had him here. Wouldn't that be great? I would say a lot of Americans, not as many as 40%, but a lot of Americans believe in a conspiracy theory that says we never went to the moon. It was all rigged. And it's an absolutely crazy conspiracy theory because you would have had to involve tens of thousands of people. I mean, they were up there uh, six times. Uh, well, let's see. Yeah, six times because uh, Apollo 13 never got there. So, you, I, I mean, it's crazy. What if Ted Cruz had said we need a commission? to actually check whether the Apollo program happened. Because so many Americans believe otherwise, and we have to listen to them. I would say, this is absolutely crazy. That's the argument he made this week. But my other do- uh, comment is on the friends. Because I, 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 I agree with you. At the same time, some of those friends I have, who have been Trump supporters, are friends whose um, judgment I generally respect. And it makes it difficult for me. I I just have to admit that because on the one hand, I feel also I should have been sterner at some point by saying, my dear friend, I I really think you are wrong. And I think you are wrong, not just in intellectual sense or in the sense that we disagree about taxes or we disagree about, uh, uh, you know, uh, some legal argument. Uh, it's, It's more foundational. But on the other hand, I think that a lot of those who followed Trump did do so with a sense that even if we don't like him, it's right because there are certain other things we we fight against or certain things we believe in. And I find it really hard to know how to tackle that. And that's partly to do with something you and I hold dear. Greg, friendship. How do we maintain friendships after that? This was a big discussion after the Second World War. If you had a neighbor who had actually supported in some way or another the Nazis, but hadn't themselves committed any crime, could they still be your, your friends? I hope that we can maintain friendships, but I also hope that those friendships will be informed by a sense of uh, self-doubt and introspection and a question about whether we can revisit some of these things. I, you know, before coming to the, you know, the, the second friend, uh, I think one of the really, if, if, I, if I look to what motivated my friends to support Trump. There, there are different motivations. I can one thought that Trump would deregulate the financial markets, and he thinks that's a good thing. Okay, that was a reason. Others have more substantive moral reasons for having supported Trump. Uh, they, they think that you know. I kept hearing this refrain: the con- the country is is going over the edge. We're losing our the moral fiber of the country, with. Uh, uh, issues like the the erosion of marriage, all right, support for you know same sex unions, uh, support for abortion, and and uh, lack of respect for our 
for for our founding fathers, you know, the, the arguments like that. And I and, and I'm not saying that those arguments are are entirely groundless. However, I think that in you know in democracy there there are two sides to democracy. Democracy one is the fundamental truths about life and society that 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 democracy is there to to maintain or uphold. Right. So these are matters of uh, substantive justice, if I can put it that way. But then there's a procedural side to democracy. Mm-hmm. Right. We need to agree on how to adjudicate our differences. Yeah how to organize ourselves. And what I, I found was subtly happening, and sometimes not so subtly, was the, the, the commitment to substantive, issues of substantive justice began to trump and override the commitment to procedural justice. And if I'll just give an example from you know, my, one of my favorite uh, theologians, Thomas Aquinas, uh, there's a discussion he has, you know, this is this is a medieval discussion, whether the children of Jews should be baptized against the wishes of their parents. This was sometimes done in the Middle Ages. Uh, and there were two main positions on this. There was a, Thomas Aquinas said, no, the children of Jews should never be baptized against the wishes of their parents because parents, that would, that would abrogate a natural right. Parents have a natural right to raise their children. And Another thinker, Duns Scotus, later disagreed with Aquinas or cast doubt on Aquinas' position and said, no, the salvation of the souls of these children overrides the, the natural authority that, people, that, that, that parents have for the upbringing of their children. So Scotus was encouraging this kind of uh, setting aside, well, natural right, in this case, the parallel is to procedural justice in the interest of the importance of the substantive truth. That is, that is not right. That's an imbalance. Uh, Good point. Yeah. Good uh, point. Yeah, but I, I'm still looking forward to hearing about okay, your email. Uh, well, I'll tell you about the email. Okay, well, here's the email. I'll, I'll, I'll I had come to get back that. with my I had, I, I had to get that. But my email, I know I received a second email. This was part of a Christmas Christmas. Uh, Greeting from from a dear friend, uh, who who is uh, a nun living in Georgia, and uh, apart from the you know the lovely Christmas greetings and sharing you know uh, uh, recent uh, news about family and you know her you know her convent and so forth, she. she I already knew that she was a, a fervent supporter of of President Trump. She she came out and said. President Trump was chosen by God to be president. Now, and there was some elaboration on the point, some reasons why she thought that might be so. I find this to be, to be both erroneous and dangerous way of thinking. And I was really disappointed to hear someone speak in that way. Let's I mean, on a number of this, we come right back to the ethics of belief here, right? Absolutely. And I think it's relevant what you say. Uh, by the way, I actually wrote about Thomas Aquinas and Duns Scotus for my doctoral dissertation. Whoa. So it feels a woo! 
<laughs> we're back to the really important things here, but that's in the yeah. next podcast, my yeah. friends. That's yeah. an examination yeah. of the uh, realism and nominalism of the 14th century. Aren't you looking forward to that? Yeah. Uh, back, back to uh, yes, I, I, I think you're quite right. But I think there's one thing that should temper us as well, right? Yeah. yeah. And that is the danger of coming across to the other party as having a sort of moral high ground. And to be honest, we do have that right now, those of us who warned about Donald Trump for a long time. But I also think that one of the things that has created Trump is this sense that there exists a group of people, academics, politicians, the elite, who know better than the other. And if you have a feeling among many people that now they will come to roast us because now they have been proven right, maybe we will just see even more of this sort of division in society, which is one reason that I truly admire President-elect Joe Biden. Uh, there are many things that can be said about Joe Biden. Uh, I would definitely have voted for him if I were American in this election. I'm not sure he is the candidate I would have nominated for various reasons, but I see some quality in, let's use that term, in his soul, in the way that yeah. he has tackled this. He has been very stern these last few days, and goodness gracious, he's right to be. But when you listen to him throughout November and December, for instance, in addressing members of Congress, he says, I know this is difficult for you, and I won't make it more difficult. And he says, I will work with you. I will stretch out a hand. And I think that's quite remarkable, because he could have said that now comes the time of moral reckoning, and you have to be the ones that this moral reckoning is against. Instead, he invites people into a room. And someone's like, ah, that's just rhetoric and blah, blah. No, it's much more than that. And I admire him for that. And I try to be inspired myself by Joe Biden in what I, I, I uh, say about these things. The, uh, I mean, thank you, Henrik. And I hope I don't, I don't want to appear as though I'm taking the You never do, Greg. You I never do. Well, but we but, could. I but, know I do. But I just, <laughs> but you know what upset me, among the things that upset me about the, the comment in the email was, think about it. If God chose Trump to be president of the United States, those who vote against Trump yeah. are opposing God. Is, is, is that how we want to conceptualize our, our life together in, in the political sphere? And, you know, we, I'm sorry to say, but conservative Christians including conservative Catholics, have spent a lot of time, there's been a lot of ink spilled, criticizing the Muslims for Sharia, for, for extremist language, for not confronting their leaders who engage, religious leaders who engage in extremist language. We need to have some introspection about our own engagement in this. And, you know... One, one of the real problems with, with the, what I'd call the Trump movement is the way people personally identified with the president. So a criticism of the president was a criticism of them, a personal criticism. We, 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 I, we can't conduct ourselves in the civil sphere this way. No, you're quite right. If I, if I could, and we're, we're getting towards the end here, yeah, I know, yeah. but if I could have a book recommendation for those who are listening... Uh, I, I would urge you to go back and read a book called Man of the House. It's about one of the most powerful politicians of U.S. history, Tip O'Neill, who was in what is Nancy Pelosi's position now, namely Speaker of the House of Representatives. And he was kind of the archetypal, what in the United States called a liberal, uh, Democrat. And his big opponent was, of course, Ronald Reagan, who was president and considered very conservative. 
But Reagan and Tip O'Neill, and it comes out so beautifully in that book, they made sure always to be friends. They used to say that after 6 p.m. we are always friends. They made sure to be able to talk to each other. And I found a clip on YouTube not too long ago where there was some honor to Tip O'Neill. It was the late 1980s. Reagan was still president. And Reagan shows up, travels up to Massachusetts to honor Tip O'Neill and says, you know, you are an example to us all with the sort of civic duty that you show. And these are two opponents, but they realize that guarding these procedures and this great experiment, which is American democracy, is something we do together and with respect for each other. And if Reagan and Tip O'Neill could do it, then I think we can do so today as well. I, I, think, th I think that, you know, that's very important. I mean, in the U.S., we need reconciliation now. Uh, and, and, but, you know, the, the reconciliation will not be a sincere one if we don't all sit back and think through what our responsibilities have been in this situation. The Democrats have been far from pure, right? Uh, President Biden has made mistakes. Well, <laughs> Vice Pre uh, President-elect Biden, in the past he's made mistakes, and he's going to make mistakes in, 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 in the future. It's inevitable. Uh, uh, but we, we need to uh, engage, we need to have a, a, a constructive conversation about where we've gone wrong. And one of the things that's, that, that's really bothered me is I've heard many of my Republican uh, Trump-supporting friends say things like, but the Democrats did this to the, us first. They, 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 they refused to recognize the legitimacy of President Trump with the supposition is we're going to do this now. That's not a way to conduct ourselves. It's very true. And you create false moral equivalences as well, because those who say that from the Republican side know it's not true. Yes, the Democrats have made mistakes, just like you said. Maybe there are some things they said right, right after the 2016 election, which they should not have said, but there is no equivalence. There are oceans between them. But even if it were the case, you're quite right, even if it were the case that they had behaved that way, that's no excuse for you to do the same. No. Well, our time is up. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, Thanks for me as well. Thanks for inviting me. Have a good day.